0: section 11 of celebrated women travelers of the 19th century this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Piotr natter celebrated women travelers of the 19th century by w h davenport adams section 11 ida laura pfeiffer part 2 at length she was free to indulge her long-cherished inclinations her sons stood no longer in need of her support her husband was separated from her and was living in retirement at lemberg her means though moderate were not inadequate to the fulfilment of the projects she had in view it was true she was forty-five years old and that it is not an age at which one usually attempts a tour round the world but on the other hand it invested a woman with a certain degree of security and it rendered more feasible an enterprise which in any case was beset with difficulties having completed the necessary preparations she set out on her first great journey in march eighteen forty two it was natural enough that a woman of religious temperament should be attracted to the holy land she visited its holiest places and the effect they produced upon her imagination is a proof that years and the curse of domestic life had in no way chilled its early warmth returning in december she proceeded to compile a narrative of her experiences which was published in eighteen forty three under the title of travels of a viennese woman to the holy land and immediately obtained a world-wide popularity its merits, however, are not of a literary character. Its attractiveness is due to, entirely to the simplicity and straightforwardness. The reader at once discovers that he is dealing with a writer who makes no attempt to deceive, who neither diminishes nor exaggerates, nor adapts her facts to preconceived opinions. To this we may add that Madame Pfeiffer, though inaccurate, is not a profound observer. From the sultry heat of the East, she next betook herself to the sullen cold of the north and the result of her wanderings in eighteen forty six was a lively book upon scandinavia and iceland describing perils which few men would care to confront with evidently unaffected enjoyment but these comparatively short excursions were but a preliminary to the great enterprise of her life-the prologue as it were to the five-act drama with all its surprises hazards amazing situations and striking scenes the experience she had acquired as a traveller she resolved to utilise in the accomplishment of a tour round the world and on this notable adventure she set out in june eighteen forty six being then in her fiftieth year on board the caroline a danish brig bound for rio de janeiro she arrived at the brazilian capital on the sixteenth of september and remained there for upwards of two months exclusive of the time devoted to excursions into the interior on one of these excursions she narrowly escaped the murderer's knife she and her companion in a lonely spot were overtaken by a negro who with a lasso in one hand and a long knife in the other suddenly sprang upon them and gave them to understand more by gestures than words that he intended to murder them and then drag their bodies into the forest they had no arms having been told that the road was perfectly safe their only defensive weapons were their parasols, with the exception of a clasp-knife, which Ida Pfeiffer instantly drew from her pocket and opened, resolved to sell her life as dearly as possible. They parried their adversary's blows as long as they could with their parasols, but these did not long avail. Madame Pfeiffer's broke in the struggle, leaving only a fragment of the handle in her hand. The negro, however, dropped his knife, the courageous woman made an effort to seize it he thrust her away with his hands and feet recovered it and brandishing it furiously over her head dealt her two wounds in the upper part of the left arm she thought she was lost but despair nerved her to use her own knife she made a thrust at his breast but succeeded only in wounding him severely in the hand at the same moment her companion count Berchtold sprang forward and while he seized the villain from behind madame pfeiffer regained her feet all this took place in less than a minute the negro was now roused into a condition of maniacal fury he gnashed his teeth like a wild beast and brandished his knife while shouting fearful threats the issue of the contest would probably have been disastrous but for the opportune arrival of assistance. Hearing the tramp of horses' hoofs upon the road, the negro desisted from his attack and sprang into the forest. A couple of horsemen turning the corner of the road, our travellers hurried to meet them, and having heard their tale, which indeed their wounds told eloquently enough, they leaped from their horses and entered the woods in pursuit. Two negroes afterwards came up the villain was captured securely pinioned and as he would not walk severely beaten until as most of the blows fell upon his head madame pfeiffer feared the wretched skull would be broken nothing however would induce him to walk and the negroes were compelled to carry him bodily to the nearest house our traveller was much impressed by the beauty of the tropical scenery in one of her rambles, she crossed a small waterfall she struck right into the depths of the virgin forest following a narrow path along the bank of a little stream stately crested palms waved high above the other trees which intertwining their inextricable boughs formed the loveliest fairy bowers imaginable every stem every branch was garland with fantastic orchids while ferns and creepers glided up the tall smooth trunks mingling with the boughs and spreading in every direction waving curtains of flowers of the rarest fragrance and vividest hues imaginable with shrill twittering cry and rapid wing flashed the humming-bird through the transparent air the pepper-pecker with glowing plumage rose timorously upwards while parrots and parroquets the innumerable birds of beautiful appearance enhanced by their voices and movements the loveliness of the scene from rio de janeiro madame pfeiffer sailed in an english ship the john renwick on the ninth of september for valparaiso the great seaport of chile in sailing southward the ship touched at santos where the voyagers celebrated new year's day and they made the mouth of the rio plata on the eleventh of january in these latitudes the southern cross is the most conspicuous object in the heavens it consists of five shining stars arranged in two diagonal rows towards the end of the month madame pfeiffer gazed upon the sterile cliffs and barren mountains of patagonia and next upon the volcanic rocks wave-worn and wind-beaten of Fireland or tierra del fuego through the strait of Le Main, which separates the latter from staten island the voyagers passed onward to the extreme southern point of the american continent the famous promontory of cape horn this is the last spur of the mighty mountain chain of the andes and consists of a mass of huge basaltic rocks piled together in huge disorder as if by a titan's hand doubling cape horn they encountered a furious gale which raged for several days and soon discovered like other voyagers how little the great southern ocean deserves its name of the pacific such a storm as this said ida pfeiffer affords much food for reflection you are alone upon the boundless ocean far from all human aid and feel more than ever that your life depends upon the most high alone the man who in such a dread and solemn moment can still believe there is no god must indeed be irretrievably struck with mental blindness during such convulsions of nature a feeling of tranquil joy always comes over me i very often had myself bound near the binnacle and allowed its tremendous waves to break over me in order to absorb as it were as much of the spectacle before me as possible on no occasion did i ever feel alarmed but always full of confidence and resignation madame pfeiffer reached valparaiso on the second of march she was by no means pleased with its appearance it is laid out in two long streets at the foot of dreary hills these hills consisting of a pile of rocks covered with thin strata of earth and sand some of them are crowded with houses on one lies the churchyard the others are sterile and solitary the two chief streets are broad and much frequented especially by horsemen for every chilian is born a horseman and is usually mounted on a steed worthy of a good rider valparaiso houses are european in style with flat italian roofs broad steps lead up into a lofty entrance hall on the first floor from which through large glass doors the visitor passes into the drawing-room and other apartments the drawing-room is the pride not only of every european settler but of every native Chilean. the food sinks into heavy and costly carpets the walls are hung with rich tapestry the furniture and mirrors are from european makers and gorgeous in the extreme a singular custom prevails among the Chileans on the death of a little child such an incident is a cause of sorrow and tears in most European families in Chile it is the occasion of a great festival the deceased angelito or little angel is adorned in various ways its eyes instead of being closed are opened as wide as possible its cheeks are painted red then the cold rigid corpse is decked in the finest clothes crowned with flowers and set up on a little chair in a flower-wreathed niche relatives and neighbours crowd in to wish the parents joy in the possession of such an angel and during the first night they keep a kind of irish wake indulging in the most extravagant dances and feasting before the angelito in a mood of the wildest merriments. on the first of march our adventurous traveller having resolved on putting a girl round about the world took her passage for china in the dutch park Lodpuit, Captain Van Vig Jurianse On the twenty sixth of April her eyes were gladdened with the view of the island Eden, of the southern seas, Tahiti, the largest and most beautiful of the society groups. From the days of Bougainville, its discoverer, down to those of the Earl and the Doctor, who recently visited, Tahiti has moved the admiration of voyagers by the charms of its scenery it lifts the summit of its pyramidal mass out of a wealth of luxuriant vegetation which sweeps down to the very margin of a sea as blue as the sky above it cool verdurous valleys slope gently into its mountain recesses their swelling declivities loaded with groves of breadfruit and coconut trees the inhabitants, physically speaking, are not unworthy of their island home. A tall, robust, and well-knit race, they would be comely but for their custom of flattening the nose as soon as the child is born. They have thick, jet-black hair and fine dark eyes. The color of their skin is a copper-brown. Both sexes, at the time of Ida Pfeiffer's visit, preserved the custom of tattooing, the devices being often very fanciful in design and always artistically executed. The Tahitian women have always been notorious for their immodesty, and notwithstanding the past labours of English missionaries, the island continues to be the Polynesian Paphos. The moral standard of the population has not been raised since they came under the shadow of a French protectorate. Madame Pfeiffer undertook an excursion to the lake Vahiria, assuming for the occasion a kind of masculine attire, very suitable, if not peculiarly becoming. She wore, she tells us, strong men's shoes, trousers, and a blouse, which covered the hips. Thus equipped, she started off with her guide, and in the first six miles waded through about two and thirty brooks then through a maze of ravines she struck off into the interior as they advanced she noticed that the fruit trees disappeared and that instead the slopes were covered with plantains tarros, and marantas the last attaining a height of twelve feet and growing so luxuriantly that it was with some difficulty the traveller made her way through the tangle the tarro or taro which is carefully cultivated averages two or three feet in height and has fine large leaves and tubers like those of the potato but not so good when roasted very graceful is the appearance of the plantain or banana which varies from twelve to fifteen feet in height and has fine large leaves like those of the palm but a brittle reedy stem not more than eight inches in diameter it attains its full growth in the first year bears fruit in the second and then dies thus its life is as brief as it is useful tahiti is an island of many waters though one bright crystal mountain stream which swept along the ravine over a stony bed breaking and dimpling into eddies and tiny whirlpools and in some places attaining a depth of three feet madame pfeiffer and her guide waded or half swam two and sixty times we are filled with admiration at the resolute spirit of this courageous woman who though the track at every step became more difficult and dangerous persisted in pressing forward she clambered over rocks and stones she forced her way through intertangled bushes and though severely wounded in hands and feet never faltered for a moment at two points the ravine narrowed so considerably that the entire area was filled by a brawling torrent in eight hours the bold travellers and her guide had walked waded and clambered some eighteen miles and attained an elevation of fully eighteen hundred feet the lake itself was not visible until they came upon its very margin for it lies deep down in a dark hollow among lofty precipices which with startling abruptness descend to the edge of the darkling waters to cross the lake the traveller must trust to his swimming powers or to a curiously frail kind of boat which the natives construct on the spot with equal skill and rapidity ida pfeiffer was nothing if not adventurous and whatever was to be dared, she straightway confronted at her request the guide turned boat builder. he tore off some branches of plantain bound them together with long tough grass laid a few leaves upon them lounged them into the water and then requested madame pfeiffer to embark she acknowledges to have felt a little hesitation but without saying a word stepped on board her guide took to the water like a duck and propelled the crazy craft which however made the transit of the lake and back again without accident having fully satisfied herself with admiring the lake and its surrounding scenery she withdrew to a little nook thatched over with leaves where her guide quickly kindled a good fire in the indian fashion cutting a small piece of wood to a fine point and then selecting a second piece which he grooved with a an narrow and not very deep furrow in this he rubbed the pointed stick until the fragments detached during the process began to smoke these he flung into a heap of grass and dry leaves previously collected and swung the whole several times round in the air until it ignited the entire operation did not occupy more than two minutes some roasted plantains served for supper after which madame pfeiffer returned to her lonely couch of dry leaves to sleep as best as she might who will refuse a tribute of admiration to the courage self-reliance and intrepidity of this remarkable woman who but must admire her wonderful physical capabilities how many of her sex could endure for a week the exposure and fatigue to which she subjected herself year after year the night passed without any eventful incidents and on the following morning she accomplished the return journey in safety on the seventeenth of may she left tahiti the dutch vessel in which she had embarked being bound via the philippines this rich and radiant island group they passed on the first of july and the next day entered the dangerous china sea soon afterwards they reached hong kong which had been an english settlement since eighteen forty two but as madame pfeiffer wanted to see the chinese at home she made no stay in this hybrid town but ascended the pearl river marvelling much at the immense rice plantation on either bank and the quaint little country-houses with their fronts of colored tiles to canton as she approached this great seat of commerce she was much moved by the liveliness of the scene the river was thronged with ships and inhabited boats with junks almost as large as the old spanish galleons their poops impending far over the water and covered in with a roof like a house with men-of-war broad and long mounted with twenty or thirty guns and ornamented in the usual chinese mode with two large painted eyes at the prow that they may be the better able to see their way mandarins boats she saw with doors and sides and windows gaily painted with carved galleries and tiny silken flags fluttering from every point and flower-boats she also saw their upper galleries decked with flowers garlands and arabesques as if they were barks fitted out for the enjoyment of queen Titania and her fairy company the interior is divided into one large apartment and a few cabinets which are lighted by quaint patterned windows mirrors and silken hangings embellish the sides while the enchanting scene is completed with a liberal store of glass chandeliers and colored paper lanterns, interspersed with lovely little baskets of fresh flowers. It was characteristic of Madame Pfeiffer that she found access to so much, which no European woman had ever seen before. She obtained entrance even into a Buddhist temple, that of Honan, reputed to be one of the finest in China a high wall surrounds the sacred enclosure the visitor enters first a large outer court and thence through a huge gateway passes into the inner beneath the gateway stand the statues of war-gods each eighteen feet high with faces terribly distorted and in the most threatening attitudes these are supposed to prevent the approach of evil Jedi a second portal similarly constructed under which the four heavenly kings sit enthroned leads to a third court surrounding the principal sanctuary which measures one hundred feet in length and is of equal breadth on rows of wooden pillars rests a flat roof from which hang glass lamps lustres artificial flowers and brightly colored ribbons all about the area are scattered altars, statues, vases of flowers, censers, and candelabra. But the eye is chiefly attracted by the three shrines in the foreground, with the three colored statues behind them of Buddha seated as symbolical of past, present, and future. On the occasion of Madame Ida Pfeiffer's visit, a funeral ceremony was being performed in honor of a mandarin's deceased wife before the right and left altars stood several priests in garments curiously resembling as did the rites also resemble those of the roman church the mandarin himself attended by a couple of fan-bearers prayed before the middle altar he kissed the ground repeatedly and each time he did so thin fragrant wax tapers were put into his hands these after raising in the air he handed to the priests who then stationed them unlighted before the buddha images meantime the temple resounded with the mingling strains of three musicians one of whom struck a metal ball while another scraped a stringed instrument and a third educed shrill notes from a kind of flute this principal temple is surrounded by numerous smaller sanctuaries each decorated with images of deities rudely wrought but aglow with gold and vivid colors special reverence seems to be accorded to kwanfutze a demigod of war and to the four-and-twenty gods of mercy these latter have four six and even eight arms in the temple of mercy madame pfeiffer met with an unpleasant adventure a bonze had offered her and her companion a couple of wax tapers to light in honour of the god they were on the point of compliance as a mere act of civility when an american missionary who was one of the visitors roughly snatched them from their hands and gave them back to the priests protesting that such compliance was idolatrous it was not without difficulty they forced their way through the crowd and escaped from the temple the curiosity hunters were next led to the so-called house of the sacred swine these porcine treasures are as tenderly cared for as was hamlet's mother by hamlet's father they reside in a spacious hall of stone but the atmosphere it must be owned teems with odours that are not sebeyan throughout their idle existence the swine are reverently cherished and liberally fed nor is the cruel knife permitted to cut short the thread of their destiny at the time of ida pfeiffer's visit only one pair were living in this otios state and the number seldom exceeds three pairs from china our adventurous lady sailed for the east indies looking in on the way at singapore a british settlement which forms the meeting place of the traders of south asia the scenery around it is of a rich and agreeable character and the island on which it is situated excels in fertility of vegetation very pleasant the visitor finds it to saunter among the plantations of clovers and nutmegs the air breathing a peculiar balsamic fragrance a concentration of sweet odours pepper and gambi plantations are also among the sides of singapore further it is an island of fruits here thrives the delectable mangosteno which almost melts in the mouth and enchants the palate with its exquisite flavour here too the pineapple frequently attains the weight of four pounds here grows the saucroise as big as the biggest pineapple green outside and white or pale yellow inside with a taste and perfume like that of the strawberry and to singapore belongs the custard apple which is as savoury as its compound name implies from singapore madame pfeiffer crossed to point du gall in ceylon the charming appearance of this island from the sea moved her as it moves every traveller to admiration it was one of the most magnificent sights i ever beheld she said that island soaring gradually from the sea with its mountain ranges growing more and more distinctly defined their summits lighted by the sun while the dense cocoa groves and the hills and the plains lay shrouded in cool shadows above the whole towers the purple mass of adam's peak and wherever the eye roams it surveys the most prodigal foliage and glades rich in verdure and turfy slopes deep in flowers point de galle presents a curious mixture of races singalis canditors tamils from south india and moormans with crimson kaftans and shaven crowns form the bulk of the crowd that throngs its streets but besides these there are portuguese chinese jews arabs parsees malays dutchmen english with half cased burghers and now and then a veiled arab woman or a veda one of the aboriginal inhabitants of the island sir charles tilke speaks of silent crowds of tall and graceful girls as we at first supposed wearing white petticoats and bodices their hair carried off the face with a decorated hoop and caught at the back by a high tortoise shell comb as they drew near moustaches began to show and i saw that they were men whilst walking with them were women naked to the waist combless and far more rough and manly than their husbands petticoats and chingons are male institutions in Ceylon with indefatigable energy of mind and body madame pfeiffer visited colombo and kandy the chief towns of the island at the latter she obtained admission to the temple of dagoba which contains a precious relic of buddha namely one of his teeth the sanctuary enshrining it is a small chamber or cell less than twenty feet in breadth it is shrouded in darkness for of windows there are none and the door is curtained inside still more effectually to exclude the light rich tapestry covers the walls and ceiling but the principal object is the altar which glitters with plates of silver and is encrusted with the edges with precious stones upon it rests a bell-shaped case about three feet high and at the base three feet in diameter it is made of silver is elaborately gilt and decorated with costly jewels in the middle blazes a peacock of precious stones six smaller cases said to be of gold each diminishing in size are enclosed within the large case and under the last is the tooth of buddha it is as large as that of a great bull so the great indian philosopher must have had a monstrous jaw madame pfeiffer arrived at madras on the thirtieth of october thence she proceeded to calcutta the city of palaces but of course she adds nothing to the information furnished by a swarm of travellers she saw the broad flood of the ganges and filling a glass with its sacred water drank to the health of the europeans and all whom she loved throughout her indian travel she felt much vexed at being conveyed in a palanquin it seemed a dishonouring of men to treat them as beasts of burden however necessity prevailed over her humanitarian scruples unlike the majority of indian tourists she went everywhere without an expensive retinue of attendants she had but one servant yet she contrived to go everywhere and to see all that was to be seen it is worth noting that she reduced the cost of travel to a minimum and accomplished the circuit of the globe for a less sum than the rent of a furnished house in mayfair for only a twelvemonth it is true that she submitted to privations which the english tourist would deem unsupportable she embarked in sailing-ships because they were cheaper than steamers resorted to third-class railway carriages avoided expensive hotels lived always with the masses and on plainest fare and dispensed with the services of dragon-man or interpreter but for all that her enjoyment was not the less and she saw much which had she travelled in the usual fashion she would not have seen one is apt to think that a woman who accomplished such remarkable feats of endurance and energy must have been endowed with great physical strength and robust proportions but such was by no means the case her stature did not exceed nay was below the average and there was nothing masculine in her face or figure i smile she says in one of her letters when i think of those who knowing me only through my voyages imagine that i must be more like a man than a woman those who expect to see me about six feet high of bald demeanor and with pistol in my belt will find me a woman as peaceable and as reserved as most of those who have never set foot outside their native village at benares she saw the bazaars and the temples and the palaces the bathing in the ganges the burning of the dead on the bank of the sacred river and a nauchni or dance of nauches but her attention was chiefly drawn to the miserable fanaticism of the fakirs who revelled in self-imposed tortures thus they stuck an iron hook through the flesh and allowed themselves to be suspended by it at a height of twenty or twenty-five feet or for long hours they stood upon one foot in the burning sunshine with their arms rigidly extended in the air or they held heavy weights in various positions swinging round and round for hours together and tearing the flesh from their bones with red-hot pincers one man held a heavy axe over his head as if about to fell a tree and in this position stood immovable like a statue another held the point of his toe to his nose yet from one point of view these men are right what torture of the body can equal the torture of the soul if it were possible by any amount of physical pain to still and silence the agony of conscience who would not endure it the greatest condemnation of the self-cruelty of the fakirs is its uselessness in her tour through india madame pfeiffer visited allahabad at the junction of the jumna and the ganges agra where she surveyed with admiring eyes the lovely taj mahal erected by the sultan jehan as a memorial to his favourite wife and the pearl mosque renowned for the beauty of its carving delhi the ancient capital of the moguls the cave temples of Elora and ajunta and the great commercial port of bombay crossing the border of british india she sailed to bassora and ascended the historic tigris so named from the tiger-like swiftness of its course to baghdad that quaint oriental city which is associated with so many wonderful legends and not less wonderful travellers tales this was of old the residence of the great haroun al-rashid a ruler of no ordinary sagacity and the hero of many a picturesque tradition whose name the thousand and one Nights have made familiar to every english reader it is still a populous and wealthy city with we suspect a future before it not less glorious than its past many of its houses are surrounded by blooming gardens its shops are bright with the products of eastern looms and it descends in terraces to the river banks which are lined with orchards and groves of palms over all extends the arch of a glowing sky from bagdad madame Pfeiffer made an excursion to the ruins of babylon they consist of massive fragments of walls and columns lying on either side of the euphrates on the 17th of June she joined a caravan which was bound for Mosul, a journey of three hundred miles, occupying from twelve to fourteen days, and lying across a desert country of the most inhospitable character. Madame Pfeiffer's experiences of this journey were new and interesting. One day she repaired to a small village in search of food. After wandering from hut to hut, she obtained a small quantity of milk and three eggs these she laid in hot ashes covering them completely filled her leathern flask from the tigris and thus provided regained the encampment formed by the caravan she ate her eggs and drank her milk with an appetite which to an epicure would have been a surprise the manufacture of butter at this village was conducted on primitive principles the cream was poured into a leathern bottle and rolled about on the ground until consolidated into butter which was then transformed to a bottle filled with water and eventually turned out as white as snow next day when they rested during the heat the guide of the caravan endeavoured to procure her a little shelter from the sun's pitiless glare by laying a small cover over a couple of poles let into the ground but so small was the area thus protected and so weak the artificial tent that she was compelled to sit immovably in one position as the slightest motion would have overthrown it shortly afterwards when she wished to dine she could obtain nothing but lukewarm water bread so hard that she was obliged to soak it before it was eatable and a cucumber without salt or vinegar at a village near Kerkou, the caravan halted for ten days on the first day madame pfeiffer's patience was severely tested for all the women of the place hastened to examine the strange woman first they inspected her clothes and next wanted to take off her turban in fact they were inquisitive beyond all toleration at last madame pfeiffer seized one of them by the arm and turned her out of the room with so much promptitude that she had no time to think of resistance by the eloquence of gesture our traveller made the others understand that unless they withdrew at once a similarly abrupt dismissal awaited them she then drew a circle round her place and forbade them to cross it-a prohibition which was strictly respected she had next to settle with the wife of her guide who had besieged her the whole day and incessantly petitioned for largesse fortunately her husband came on the scene and to him madame pfeiffer preferred her complaint threatening to leave his house and seek shelter elsewhere well knowing that the arabs consider this a great disgrace he immediately ordered his wife to desist and the traveller was at peace i always succeed says madame pfeiffer in obtaining my own will i found that energy and boldness influence all people whether arabs persians bedouins or others it was this strength of will which crowned madame pfeiffer's enterprises with success towards evening she says she saw to her great delight a cauldron of mutton seething on the fire for eight days she had eaten nothing but bread cucumber and a few dates she had a great craving therefore for a hot and more nutritious meal but her appetite declined when the style of cookery was forced on her notice the old woman her guide's mother threw several handfuls of small grain and a large quantity of onions into a pan full of water to soften in about half an hour she thrust her dirty hands into the water and mixed the whole together now and then taking a mouthful and after chewing it spitting it back again into the pan she then took a dirty rag strained off the juice and poured it over the flesh in the cauldron madame pfeiffer had firmly resolved to refuse the dish but when it was ready her appetite was so keen and the smell so savoury that her resolution gave way and she comforted herself with the reflection that she must often have eaten of food prepared in a similar manner what we do not see it is easy enough to tolerate on the twenty-eighth of june the caravan reached erbil anciently arbella the scene of one of alexander the great's most famous victories two days later they crossed the great river saab upon rafts of inflated skins fastened together with poles and covered with reeds canes and planks rapidly traversing the mesopotamian wastes they arrived at mosul on the first of july and thence madame pfeiffer proceeded to inspect the ruins of Nineveh. her description of them however presents no points of interest to merit quotation a caravan being about to start for Tabriz, Madame Ida Pfeiffer decided that she would join it, though warned that it would traverse a country contained not a single European. But, as we have seen, she was a woman who knew not what fear was. Nothing could divert her from a fixed purpose. She had made up her mind to go to Persia, and to Persia she would go the caravan set out on the eighth of july and next day crossed the hills that intervene between mesopotamia and kurdistan the latter country has never enjoyed a good reputation among travellers and madame pfeiffer's experience of it confirmed its evil fame the travellers were crossing a recently reaped cornfield where half a dozen kurds armed with stout cudgels sprang out from their hiding-place among the sheaves and seizing the bridles poured out a volley of mingled oaths and menaces one of the travellers leaped from his steed seized his assailant by the throat and holding to his head a loaded pistol indicated his determination to blow out his brains the effect of this courageous conduct was immediate the robbers desisted from their attack and were soon engaged in quite a friendly conversation with those whom they had intended to plunder at last they pointed out a good site for an encampment, receiving in return a trifling bakshish collected from the whole caravan. A few days later the travelers, having started at two in the morning, passed into a sublime mountain valley, which the waters of a copious stream had cleft through the solid rock. A narrow stony path followed the upward course of the stream, the moon shone unclouded, or it would have been difficult even for the well-trained horses of the caravan to have kept their footing along the perilous way encumbered as it was with fallen masses of rock like chamois however they scrambled up the steep mountain-side and safely carried their riders round frightful promontories and past dangerous and dizzy precipices so wildly romantic was the scene with its shifting lights and shadows its sudden bursts of silvery radiance where the valley lay up open to the moon and its depths of darkness in many a sinuous recess that even madame pfeiffer's rude companions felt the influence of its strange beauty and as they rode along not a sound was heard but the clatter of the horses hoofs and the fall of rolling stones into the chasm below but all at once thick clouds veiled the moon and so intense a darkness prevailed that the travellers could scarcely discern each one his fellow the leader continually struck fire with a flint that the sparks might give his companions some indication of the course this however proved insufficient guidance and at last as the horses began to miss their footing their sole chance of safety consisted in standing still at daybreak however a grey light spread over the scene and the travellers found themselves surrounded by a ring of lofty mountains rising one above the other in grand gradation and superbly dominated by one mighty snow-crowned massive summit the journey was resumed soon the travellers became aware of the fact that the path was sprinkled with spots of blood at last they came to a place where crimsoned a completed pool and looking down into the ravine they could see two human bodies one about a hundred feet below them the other which had rolled farther half hidden by a projecting crag they were glad to leave behind them this wild akeldama End of section 11.